On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Paul Kutzon. He is the Senior Director of Infrastructure Services at CCC Intelligent Solutions. We're going to be talking about culture of accountability empowerment, especially in the DevOps space. That's where Paul's uh, background comes from. We're going to be talking about um, focus, bottlenecks, value streams, um, changing culture, and how do you measure that? I think Paul's got a great background to talk about all this stuff. I'm excited to have him on. Paul, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Thank you. Awesome. Let's start off with two things before we dive in. Uh, tell everyone uh, what your company does at a high level. And then um, Senior Director of Infrastructure Services, what are some of the uh, responsibilities you have there? Yes. So uh, my company, CCCIS, is a SaaS or a software as a solution company that serves the automotive insurance industry. So we have, you know, two or three branches of the house. If they, you know, you want to think about it, the connections, you know, related to insurance companies with regard to automotive, you know, damage. And then there's the connections related to that to repair facilities there. They, you know, share estimates, et cetera, with the insurance companies, et cetera. And then there is uh, uh, a line that has to do with uh, the medical side of the house where people get it. So we help um, insurance companies streamline and enhance their processes to, to uh, be obviously more efficient and more empowered by uh, rich information and, you know, the goal of uh, having claims being processed without people touching it, you know, and all sorts of opportunities for um, artificial intelligence around uh, things such as, uh, you know, taking pictures of a car being car, you know, the, the body of a car and having an estimate automatically generated just from the pictures, you know, that type of thing. So that's what we do. And then uh, as far as what does a senior director of infrastructure services do and what my responsibilities are, is I um, tend to send emails and go to meetings. No, <laughs> no uh, I run, uh, I run, you know, both the delivery and the operations uh, for your traditional, what you would consider network storage, compute, middleware, and you know the the kind of the internal guts of the things that make applications run. Uh, partnering a lot with both. You know, on the operations side, making sure that um, our customers have a, you know, are delighted by the high availability of our in, in of our systems, as well as on the, you know, a lot of the energy we spend is on the um, the software delivery side. As a software as a service company, we have a lot of different development teams, and um, and a lot of different products, and we need to make sure that their um, features and you know releases are safely and efficiently and quickly brought from ideation through to um, production for, for customer use. And there's all sorts of complexity that goes on with that because, um, you know, like in any large enterprise, uh, any given team of uh, products have connections and rely on other products. And there's a big, you know, um, kind of matrix of, uh, coupling between those those products, and so there's different ones of different complexities, and you need teams sometimes uh, shared services teams, which I know people tend to not to like, but uh, to keep them all working together harmoniously. So I hope that answers. 
you, you stay busy for sure. Um, and, and, and I'm sure, uh, there's a, there's a lot of what we're going to be talking about, um, uh, that you've seen. And I'm excited to talk about it with you is, you know, talking about some, you know, the culture, uh, of accountability and empowerment. Um, obviously we're kind of focused a little bit on infrastructure, your background area. Um, and I think you mentioned when, when we had spoken earlier, you know, DevOps blameless culture, and, and obviously things have to shift, things have to move to kind of get to that point. But I think I want to start off, you mentioned something that was really interesting when it comes to infrastructure, uh, was the power of focus. I, I'd love to kind of maybe have you start off kind of talking about what you meant by power of focus, and then we'll dive in from there. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is, you know, the power of focus is kind of, what if you would just summarize a lot of a lot of the practices out there that change culture. So if you look at anything from lean or, you know, even use adopting OKRs or some aspects of Kanban and some aspects of, you know, uh, Scrum or, or, or um, you know, just agile in general. Uh, one of the things that it's help it's trying to help you do is give you, give you a set of practices and behaviors that allow you to identify that, which is most valuable. Right. So if you take the, um, if you take the agile principle of maximizing the work not done, that's just another way of saying work on what's important, right? So everybody who disagree with that, right? Like, yeah, of course you should work on what's important. But especially when you get into a shared service where you have a lot of different groups who all think what their what their is most important to them is what's most important to the company, it can it can really cause a lot of you know, the term context switching, right? And the context switching is, uh, it's expensive. It's expensive for people mentally and it's expensive for your team. It causes a lot of waste. So what I've done when I've, um, you know, kind of in my uh, journey of being a, a good leader, which I'm not saying I am, but that's just my goal, um, and kind of moving away of just being, moving away from, you know, thinking about just systems engineering around the you know the bits and the bytes and the and the the, the code and the hardware and, and start thinking of technology companies and they're just products themselves as is you know as they call it right socio techno technological services that there's a human element is that you want in a shared service to make sure there's there's agreement across all the um all of the stakeholders all of your you know partners all the people who need Things from you, and I'm not going to say customers because I don't believe in the I don't believe in the concept of internal customers. I think that causes some of the problems when people think of their their partners as customers. They're not; they're partners. You know, it's like more like a marriage than it is like a a shop, and it's some bad marriage. You know, so you got to like negotiate and you got to uh, agree on what what's possible. So, what I tend to do, right, is and these are principles. These are typical, you know, agile and DevOps and lean and you know. And theory of constraints principles is, uh, but people don't do it. It's surprising how people know it and you say it and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they don't do it. Is you really got to make work visible. You got to make it known everything that everybody's working on, right? So that's a, so when you talk about, well, culture and, you know, I, everywhere I go, people want to change the culture, but like, you know, what do you mean by change the culture? They're going to question, like, what does that mean? Like, what do you even mean? Like, what's wrong with the culture? And then, uh, you know, they say stuff like, well, no one's accountable and we just do, you know, and they have these things. And basically it's like, everybody doesn't do what I want them to do is what it means. Like, you know, it's always everybody else's problem to change the culture. Um, but 
any person who works on any team can know what they're working on. Like you don't need to ask permission. They have a really good list of what you're working on. What's a risk to that work? Well, how, what's distracting from that work, right? And if you know what you're working on and what's distracting from that good work, the, the, the kind of anti-patterns to successful delivery, um, you can have a really rich and meaningful conversation with your boss about, you know, how he, he or she can help you move forward. So if you, writ, you know, take that writ large and you go into a, a department and you, you instill some practices of, you know, for example, you know, you, you implement an agility tool like Jira, you know, something shared where everybody's putting everything they're working on and making, and you come up with a, a unified approach to like, hey, let's just agree on some terminology. Let's organize these things in the same way. And then you make some dashboards where you can put everything on a list. It's surprising how many times in my life I've gone to companies and, and the, you know, the CTO or whatever says, well, I don't know what they're working on. Yeah. And I guess that that's an interesting point, right? So, you know, you mentioned, you know, setting up Jira, setting up the expectations. When we talk about accountability and empowerment, I think you mentioned a you know, couple of different things that we can kind of pick apart is people have to feel safe to take the risk on of a decision, you know, and then we have to allow them to be accountable. So we want them to be empowered. We want them to be accountable. But then there's the subjective component is, well, how bad was the outcome? Is it is it fireable? Like we want you to take ownership. We want you to go ahead and do what do what you need to do. But listen, if you get it wrong, depending on the magnitude, well, we're gonna fire you. And that becomes difficult for somebody to raise their hand up and go, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make that tough call. People tend to go, well, I'm going to think about the risk of me making that tough call. And maybe I'll punt or maybe I won't, or I'll suggest something alternative that's more beneficial to me keeping my job because, you know, I don't see a ton of companies out there. And I think this may be part of the challenge is, yeah, I don't think employees really know what's a fire. Like if I do poorly, I'm getting the feedback consistently. I understand, but when I make a decision, if I'm empowered to make a decision, there's a consequence. And depending on how much risk and how much tolerance a company has, that has repercussions. And I think that's, that's, that's a tough, you know, it's a gray area. I don't think it's that gray. I think that I've lived through both sides of that. So when I first started in this, especially, you know, in the, in the infrastructure and operations space, accountability was king. And the, there was kind of this, what they would call Taylorism attitude that people were, are, you know, um, you know, they're interchangeable parts and, you know, you gotta, you gotta be tough and crack the whip. And yeah, you would, people would make mistakes and then they would, uh, there'd be repercussions that get written up, they get moved, they get their production access taken away or they get fired, you know? And there was this, whoa, you know, and I think a little bit for good reasons in some cases, like there's a time and a place and companies back in the day where it was very routine for people to not follow the change control process. They're like, that's not for me. I'm, t- I'm, you know, they would have this kind of ego that they didn't have to follow the process because it was stupid and it took too long and they knew what they were doing. Okay. Well, if you are egregious about it and you're going to go and break process and you're going to sneak and do stuff, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I want, I don't think you're trustworthy. And, you know, if you're not trustworthy, then maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you should be fired. But if you're acting in good faith, right? And you're doing the best you can, which is what I believe 
99.9% of people who are technology are trying to do a good job. They're not trying to be, uh, they're not malicious. They're, they're trying to be trustworthy. And you go and you make a mistake and you do something. And uh, the best thing that that person can do and what makes me, what I think is the best thing for the organization is for them to be very transparent about it. And for, you know, let me put it this way. When you think about failure, right? Is that, you know, and this is all, all, you know, not my own thoughts. It's like Richard Cook and stuff, right? It's like complex systems fail. That's what they do. You know, you have complex systems, they fail. It's sort of like complex systems are always about to fail, and it's only human action that keeps them from failing at any given moment. And all human action is a gamble, right? So sometimes, it, most of the time it works out, sometimes it doesn't, you know? So if you accept that, and then you accept this, you know, this is a profundity, I think. This is something I've noticed my whole life and people used to not talk about it. And now people talk about it. The big secret is that, you know, in these organizations with complex IT systems and complex server, no one knows how it works. We all know little pieces about works. We all know our part. There's been so many times where something's not working for a long time. It's a really big deal. And we have all the smartest people on the, on the company on a call and no one knows what the problem is. And it takes a long time of them talking and experimenting and doing things. Again, I mean, a long time, like, you know, the longest 25 minutes of your life, right? You know, or the longest hour of your life of, of a, of a customer taking problem. And you realize no one knows exactly how these things work. And this is every single company I've worked at. Now, this isn't one unique to one. Everywhere I worked at. Then you go, then when you do a good postmortem, you're like, okay, the company just involuntarily invested in a failure. And we need to get the return on investment by talking it through. And we need to be transparent and safe and people need to be able to and document it. And we need to get that, all that learning we have from the, like, how does this thing work? Why did that break? That's, you've got to have that mindset when you run, when you're a leadership and you run IT. And you've got to look at people's honesty and their, their thoughtfulness of what they did and remembering how they did it and what they were thinking at the time to as, you know, free information, not free, you know, already paid for. I don't know, it's free. You already paid for how do you get the value out of it? And how do you make it so it's, you know, mistake proof? And how do you, you know, you should have all these goals of, of getting, you know, getting behind them. This, uh, this idea of a culture of accountability being something of a culture of blame is no. Like if you want accountability, do not blame. You know, I guess it's blame aware. You know, sometimes there's somebody to blame. And a lot of times no one's blaming that person more than themselves. But, you know, I mean, uh, that's the right attitude for learning. That's the right attitude about failure. But I, you know, I'll just say one more thing. You know, in the DevOps world, there's this mythology around the Netflix, you know, Simeon Army and the Chaos Monkeys and all that stuff, right? They go around with those who don't know, I'm sure everybody does, that, you know, Netflix, you know, uses these different uh, agents that go around either canceling and tur turning off services on servers randomly or disabling services or shutting down machines or shutting down regions. To, to impose what? To impose failure in their system so that they know that it's bulletproof. Well, if they knew everything about their system, why would they do that? They obviously don't know stuff about their system. They're trying to learn and they're actively pursuing failure. They want failure as an investment for them. It's, it's how they get better. So like if you're like most, I don't know if you're Netflix or Netflix and hey, good for you. I have nothing to teach you. But if you're like most of us, you know, sometimes you don't have to go in and invest for failure. It just comes right to you. Just don't waste it. Don't waste failure. That would be my thoughts on accountability and 
you know, changing culture. There's some of it, some of the aspects of it. There's this make it crazy way with the ideas. You want to be learning all the time because no one knows anything. That's the, keep that in mind when you go to work. Yeah. And I think you made a great point is involuntarily, um, a cost is, is put on a situation when there's a failure to learn quickly. All right. I mean, you're trying to solve a problem that you haven't solved before. And I think what, what maybe a lot of times we, you know, obviously the Netflix example is very good is, you know, and I think everyone talks about you're either succeeding or learning a way that didn't work. I think obviously the postmortems are great. I think really what the value is, is capturing what hasn't worked. And I think a lot of times we talk about, you know, tribal knowledge of, you know, if somebody leaves a company, they're just not leaving the company of, you know, what's, what's been working. They know what hasn't worked and and they could guide people to go, Hey, don't make these same mistakes. I've already seen it. And I think a lot of times we're not capturing that information to go, Hey, listen, there's a repository of stuff that's failed. Like these are all projects that have gone on. And these are reasons why they haven't worked. If you have this idea and, and and you want to go down this path, just know these are the different you know, paths that we've taken or, you know, for whatever reason, they haven't been successful. At, at least you can maybe go, hey, I'm going to improve on one of those because I do see the opportunity. And I think when you talk about, you know, blameless culture and accountability, I think a lot of it would really be resolved with having a process in place to understand what happened. And, and and have a learning opportunity and everyone realizes, you know, there's an opportunity to learn. Because I think there's a difference between not having the ability to do your job versus making mistakes. And I think there's that's, too, that's such a fine nuance because in engineering, we're always putting people in positions to push their ability to do something we haven't done, something novel that, you know, the company needs needs to be done. And it's not always fair to go, hey, you know, you're doing something you haven't done before. and the expectation is you, you're going to get it right quickly. Yeah, I, uh, I think that um, you, you, you know, as a leader, if you take that attitude and you're always reminding, you know, those smart people who work for you who actually, you know, make all the, make all the things happen and you, you constantly reassure them. And you see, it, you know, you could start with saying stuff like, don't worry, give it your best shot for those. If it doesn't work, I'll uh, I'll take responsibility. Right? You can start with that, but that's like that's like a local optimization for your department. What you really want is to have a company wide attitude about understanding. You know, they have to understand that the company's bread and butter, the way it works. Every company that matters these days is a technology company. It used to not be that way, but now it is. It is uh, it is relying on on technology that no one fully understands and that we have to like support those brave people who are keeping it running and, and trying to change the system so that it can meet tomorrow's challenges. You know, if you never touched it, it'd probably be okay for a while, but if we have to change it, we're taking risk. And then, and then just having that attitude about we're going to try to shrink these into small, safe changes, you know, that's that whole idea of a smaller batch. And then, Really try to work on our ability to restore after failure, right? That's a good metric to have. How fast do you restore after failure? And then giving people the, the kind of the courage to, hey, go try. If you fail, recover fast, fail fast, recover fast, and then learn fast. Like, what do we learn from that? You know, you know, the one thing that's interesting, I mean, you mentioned, um, is, you know, you talked about the leadership. Uh, and I think, I think that is part of, the solution. I think the other fact is 
when you have people join the company, eventually individual contributors talk and people who have learned that a culture is not really uh, saying what they mean about accountability and empowerment. It's like, hey, listen, they're going to want you to speak up, but really maybe you should watch what you say, right? Those, those are common little you know, conversations. Obviously right now, people being not in the office potentially is, is a wrinkle, right? I mean, we haven't even you know, talked about that because that's a whole different wrinkle, but in the office of old where people were sitting next to each other, you know, that probably happens on Slack or teams, you know, that could happen is, Hey, you know, you're watching out for the new person that doesn't know. And we talk about managers. It's like, well, listen, if that culture and that comfortability is not there for people to actually see what you're saying. So you're, you're talking the talk, but you got to walk it. You got to let people make a mistake and realize that it's okay. And not actually then turn around and do something different. It's not even just in the realm of actually making mistakes that I think that's, that, you know, and that's so true, right? So that as leaders, we, we, we say one thing when we're in a good mood after lunch, when we're nice and comfortable. And then one, right. And then once there's the pressures on and we're in trouble and heads are, you know, there's all of a sudden it's, you know, it's a different attitude and there's, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot less, you know, psychological safety, but it's also in the, the realm of just the everyday uh, answering of questions. Do people feel safe, like when they don't understand something, to a- ask questions, like and to really actually not just to ask ask questions. It's also to explain the way they understand something out loud. Because uh, what I see is that people will often get in trouble for doing that. They'll go to the situation. They'll be in a meeting. Like, hey, why did we do X, Y? They'll ask some question that's uncomfortable for leadership, and then there's kind of a repercussions to that. And that person's kind of, you know, so it's like, well, don't ask any questions. You know, just that's the safest thing. Don't ask questions. Well, guess what happens if you don't ask questions? You don't learn. What's much better is that let people feel comfortable to make a fool out of you or set or ask hard questions. And um, and if you don't have a good answer, just say, hey, it's the way it is. I don't have a good answer for that. It's just the, the nature of the, of the thing or whatever, or we're working on it. Uh, but really, you know, encouraging people to like, really understand the whole entirety of what you do as a company and what, what their role, how their role fits. Otherwise, they get this idea that they're doing a good job or they don't know if they're going to do a job. They just don't know how to make good decisions. It's the whole, you know, concept of when we, you know, when we think about having empowered teams, right? You know, in the old days, right, the old days when I first started, there was this idea of, uh, you know, people talk about empowered teams, but they really like is centralized command and control you know it's everything's really well planned out it's thought out you give you know centralized command distributed execution you give the orders out and everybody does what they're supposed to do and you have great results and i guess that used to work at some point in history i don't know when but it did apparently because it became very popular um but then people started thinking well i want more you know empowered teams and, and stuff like that well what makes an empowered team well an empowered team is not going to be empowered if it doesn't have the context of the whole big picture. So you need lots and lots of um, lots and lots of transparency from the empowered team back to the centralized management, so they can see what everybody's doing, understand what everybody's doing. But they also have to have a they have to go the other way too. Like you have to be able to answer every dumb question and have every awkward conversation with the person who's on the front line who's confused or upset or feels like they're being put in a bad, bad position. They, there's a lot, especially in shared services, there's a lot of feeling like you're you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I have to do this and I have to do this and I can't do both. So I'm working all night or I put something off the ground. There's a lot of pressure. 
And if, but if you have the right context, you really understand when there's unity in all the work that's going on and what their true priorities are, it allows them to make quick decisions about how to uh, solve for problems and to prioritize their work most efficiently, you know? So, but that requires, again, just this safety that people can speak what's on their mind and be wrong. Be wrong about articulating a problem, be wrong about whatever. You know, you can't create an issue if it's all in people's heads. We definitely, uh, I was actually thinking, I had, I had, I think on the intro, I had some other areas where you go into, but I think it's been really interesting talking about really some of the cores of, you know, the psychology of, of people feeling secure. Uh, and it really, I think everything I've been listening is, is a lot of it's around people's security. Like if you feel comfortable and secure, it's like a relationship, you know, with your you know, significant other. When you feel secure, you, you may say different things. If you're not feeling secure in your relationship, you might hold back because you're like, I don't, I, I'm worried if, if this is going to cause a problem. So I think it's interesting that a lot of things we keep coming back to are relationship-based. Uh, I'm, I'm not a marriage family therapist. Actually, my wife is, so I, 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 I get a lot of free, uh, I get a lot of free help there. Um, and a lot of it is, is based on the security. You've been mentioning secure, feeling secure. And when we're talking about holding people accountable, but empowering them, there is definitely, you know, uh, some friction there of how that balances. I think you've had some great viewpoints. I guess, you know, final thing I want to cover is when you're kind of looking at, hey, I want to empower people and I want them to be accountable. How, how do you keep track of, you know, your initiatives working, right? I mean, whether whether it's a company-wide thing or a departmental thing, however it is, like, are there metrics to keep track of? Is it more of a, you know, you, you know what, what do you keep track of actually? Yeah, um, I tend to focus on, um, I, I tend to have a few few different uh, aspects. So on the delivery side, what I tend to, to, to uh, measure is I have, I try to have all of my key contributors, the people who really, you know, the, it's a dirty little secret when you get into leadership is that, you know, 80% of your work is done by 20% of your people. Just the way it is. <laughs> Sorry for all those people out there who didn't know that. Um, just true. Um, but all, all those, the, the, you know, that your top 40%, top 50% of people at least, uh, knowing absolutely everything they're, 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 they're assigned to deliver. Okay. Because those are the people who get named to work on other things. So when there's a crisis comes up, someone comes to you, we're having this issue. Can we have, you know, John or, you know, Luke or whoever his name is, uh, work on this. They're the right person for the job. And if you don't know exactly what that's going to impact at that moment, in the heat of the moment when you're asked, it, it almost doesn't help you if it's an hour late. You should know exactly what they're working on and what's going to be impacted if you say yes. Know the, know the cost of saying yes, right? So that's one thing I track. That's a metric. If I know what everybody's working on and they don't have too much work in progress, like managing how many important activities and everything that they, they are assigned is rank ordered by priority, right? So they know what's number one priority and if they have to reach a delay, what's number two. That's what I try to do. And that's I find that that really helps. Um, the other one on just operational excellence, right, is, is just really understanding um, like Good practices. Do, do all of your team know how to uh, do a like a peer review of their work? They know how to get their work peer reviewed, right? Do they know how to? Uh, do they know the importance of having a fast back out of, of changes, right? 
and they know who to, to who to contact to be able to test the change post backup. Like that's something that's 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 really important. And then um, I think that the the other thing I track, you know, this would be like over a year, is I always try to separate um, some of the bandwidth for the teams. Right, is to dealing with um, technical debt. Uh, but technical debt, debt defined in a very particular way, in the way that um, Mick Kirsten uh, defines it, which is that which inhibits productivity, that which is slowing you down, not you know your risks, not your like technology risks, availability, not whatever. It's it's what's slowing people down. What's the what, what are the main constraints in their value stream of delivery? And you identify those constraints. There's ways to do that, and then. You always be working on taking the, the, the biggest constraint and trying to uh, whittle away at it or attack it directly or address it. And if you're not working on a constraint, you're not getting better for tomorrow. You're just going to only regress. So that'd be my answer to that, I think. Awesome, Paul. I think um covered a lot of ground. I think a couple of things were, were on the list uh was hoping to cover. We might have to do a follow-up. I know, obviously... uh kind of end of our time uh, for this recording. Um, I was going to ask you, I ask everybody uh, who's on the podcast uh, this question, but um, if you could ask a future guest uh, you know, to cover a topic for the uh, uh, podcast, uh, what topic would you like to hear about? You know, I think on that, um, on the concept of technical debt, I think I don't see enough. I see, I would love to see a, an in-depth conversation about Companies that have been successful in um, basically ad- addressing legacy applications and either rewriting them, used or using you know the, the strangler pattern, or however approaches to taking those old applications that still make money but are you know really legacy and have, don't use any modern practices. How do you address those? I've seen more people fail on that front than are successful. So that'd be what, a topic I'd love to hear about. Awesome. I like that. Um, and if somebody wants to connect with you uh, to cover yeah, anything about the podcast, uh, touch base with you, how, what's a good way of reaching out to you? Uh, LinkedIn. Paul, Paul, OCA and LinkedIn. I'm pretty good about responding. We'll, def- we'll definitely include that in the show notes. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, they'll, they'll hit you up on LinkedIn. Paul, thanks. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for inviting me. I really had a good time. Appreciate it. Look forward to doing it again. Awesome. That's it for this episode. Uh, Be back again, different topic, different guest. Until then, uh, two things. Um, One, if you know someone that could talk about their experience of migrating, especially legacy applications that are making companies money. I mean, those are a a lot out there um, and moving them to a modern infrastructure, just how they've dealt with the technical debt. I think that'd be a great episode. Reach out, let me know. Love to have you on. Um, And secondly, if you found the podcast useful, um, share it with somebody else. That it'd be awesome. Also leave a review on the uh, podcast uh, app listening of of your choice. Um, That's it for now. Until next time. Thank you and goodbye.